The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Started with a yawn. That's amazing. Are we recording? That's good. We'll start. That was Annabelle Lee yawning uh, our way into this um, historic edition of Gone by Lunchtime. Historic because Alice's uh, Alice's last pod. Bye bye, Alice. We're going to miss Alice enormously. A little round of applause. Thank you, Alice. Um, uh, Picky my kaki my. I'm Toby Manhire. Um, Annabelle, you. Why are you yawning? I've got a sick one-year-old. Oh. She was up at four in the morning with a oh. with a fever. Right. Um, well, you're not prime minister, are you? So I mean, no, but I but, but Clark wasn't available for babysitting and and MMA watching. So unfortunately, I had to deal with it myself. Um, ben Thomas, how are you? Good. Ben Thomas is from Excelsior. Annabelle Lee is from the Hui. Kilda. TV three. Sunday morning at 30, 9.30-ish. 9.30, Toby. I was right. I watch it on you delay. You nearly said 10. I saw the shape that your lips were making. Um, another uh, important announcement of historic significance is that this is the um, first podcast under the umbrella of the new sponsor for the spin-off politics section, Flick Electric. Um they're pretty great. We're really um, grateful to them for coming on board. If you uh, want to uh, click on any politics post on Spinoff Politics, uh, click through to Flick and you'll see you get a sweet deal and you'll help Spinoff Politics grow into even more of a bouncing baby. Are they going to give me and Ben free power? Uh, no. Mm. The... It's about one the one year anniversary season at the moment. We've had um, we're one year since um, Jacinda Ardern became the leader of the Labour Party. We've had one year since the election itself. We're coming up to one year since that Winston Peters press conference. Since that historic day, um, I was lying in a hospital bed, drugged out of my mind on painkillers. Wow! I thought it was a dream. Wow! What? Why were you in hospital? I, I got my tonsils removed. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. My, my gigantic tonsils. Mm. <laughs> it was a time of change, renewal, and growth for a lot of people in the country last uh, October. Um, and uh, what did? How was the experience? Was it a sort of delirious experience for you watching Winston Peters speak? Yeah, I was, I was on a lot of tramadol, and I felt I felt really happy for Jacinda. Mm. I felt I felt a bit sad for Bill. 
popped another tramadol, mainly just happy. <laughs> um, and right at the moment, the anniversary talk, which we'll come back to a bit, has been swept to one side by more controversy within the opposition as Simon Bridges gave a press conference this week to announce that Jamie Lee Ross, MP for uh, Botany, Botany uh, will be taking some leave mm. um, owing to health issues. And it was all a little bit mysterious and uh, was stated that it was unrelated to the inquiry into the leak of Simon Bridges' travel expenses. There's subsequently been a leak about the investigation into the leak. Into, it's all very complicated. But the Jamie Lee Ross thing, we're told, isn't related to that. But how did Simon Bridges handle that press conference, do you reckon, Annabelle? If I was Jamie Lee and I wasn't the leaker, I would be spewing mm. um, because I don't think there is anyone in their right mind who now doesn't isn't completely convinced that Jamie was the leaker. And I'm not sure if that was intentional. I suspect that maybe um, it was, but um, it certainly wasn't um, the slickest press conference I've seen. He said three times, I think, uh, that it was embarrassing for Jamie Lee Ross, this um, unspecified health issue. I mean, it's certainly embarrassing once you start saying it's embarrassing mm, on national television. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> I think he probably didn't choose his words perfectly there. He might have gone with something like sensitive. Um, he might have stuck with mm. personal and private, which mm. is how he began, mm. I thought, quite well. And then uh, stop, stop talking. And then you say, We've, I've answered that question. Yeah, we, w- we wish Jamie Lee and his family the, the best during this difficult time. He also, when he was asked... Well, I think the question from someone was, is there a way back? And he said, oh, well, you know, I hope so. It's kind of as if it was a disciplinary issue. It was, I just think it was very bad. I, I mean, the, you know, I think we know that there are sort of codes that are used in different jurisdictions by different people for mm. different reasons that mm. people will leave. Most of them got a pretty good workout <laughs> during that uh, press conference, which, which right. you know, and, and often they're kind of contradictory. And so really, I don't think anything became clearer. You know, I don't, I don't think that any kind of Kremlinology or textual analysis would actually lead you to any kind of truth <laughs> if, you were, if you were trying to sleuth out um, why Jamie Lee Ross won't be in Parliament for the next few months. Um, I, th- I think we probably just have to say, you know, it's obviously a personal issue of some sort. It's obviously related to personal health and well-being, um, and it obviously has the potential to affect his family. And, you know, I, th- I think Bridges did the right thing by just, you know, calling a press conference to try, to try and draw a line under it mm. instead of, you know, because when people are in the public eye, there, there is a, a genuine public interest in knowing if there's anything that's, you know, hindering them performing their duties, um, representing the public. So you just want to clearly say, you know, there's something going on, we don't need to go any further into it, and, you know, we'll reconvene this in a few months. My favourite answer was to one of the questions about um, whether or not he had permanently lost his ministerial portfolios, and the answer was, for the meanwhile, he has um, lost those portfolios permanently. (laughs) Yes, so I think we've probably said all that we need to say about that. Um, wait, the, one of the... No, no, just, we, we, wait, 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 one more thing. One more thing. I just wanted to say that it, I feel like the way it ha- was handled also means that it's going to just be more of a nightmare further down the road when 
um, when the PWC report does come out. Um, but the other thing too is I keep thinking about that image of Jamie Lee Ross and Simon Bridges on the first day of Parliament when the two of them were conspiring very cleverly together about how to scuttle um, um, Trevor Mallard's bid to become Speaker. And the, mm. it, it, it strikes me because at the time I thought, wow, there's two young Māori men um, in these senior positions in the National Party who are obviously really smart operators and it'll be really interesting to see you know how that relationship develops because they seem to be very much you know in step with each other at that time and um yes interesting to see how that it's played out this way instead by contrast on the world stage the prime minister jacinda ardern was at leaders week for the general assembly of the united nations uh appearing on a range of media spots, which you will know about. Colbert, Christine Amanpour, Today Show, she was in The New Yorker, yada, 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 yada. Ben Thomas, was this a massive um, achievement, as historic even as this historic Gone By Lunchtime podcast, or did we get massively um, overexcited in the media and it really was not that big a deal at all? I mean, look. There's nothing. There's nothing that New Zealanders like better than seeing news media overseas praise us and praise our leaders and praise our cultural icons. Um, so, from that point of view, domestically, huge success for the Prime Minister. Um, you know, we, look. You know, when you take the shots of her talking about kindness and being applauded at the UN into a wide shot, you see it's a little. The audience is a little sparse. <laughs> it's not. It's not a packed oh, house. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, th- I think in terms of in TV coverage, you know, I'm not sure what the UN's UN General Assembly's normal ratings are in America, but uh, it was up against you know the extraordinary Brett Kavanaugh hearings, where a, a grown 55 year old frat boy was weeping about how much he loved beer over the last 40 years. Uh, I mean, you know, t- t- tough show to beat, right? But um, I, you, but look, the, you know, and and I say this as somebody who you know is is naturally leery of this government, like I hope every government. Um, the Prime Minister hasn't had an entirely smooth first year, probably not as smooth as uh, you know she would have liked. But, you know, when I, when I clicked on the social media links to seeing her on the, the late show with Stephen Colbert being funny and engaging and cool and witty, you know, of course you think to yourself, I would much rather New Zealand was represented in international media on the Stephen Colbert show by Jacinda Ardern. Mm-hmm. Than by Simon Bridges, than by Bill English, than by John Key. Mm-hmm. In the same way that you know, when you're in the states and somebody says New Zealand, Lord of the Rings, you know, you're like, no, Lord Eleanor Catton, you know, um, and and you know, I, I think it's hard to avoid the, the fact that, yeah, in terms of international perception, I think that a lot of New Zealanders would rather that we were thought of as being embodied by Jacinda Ardern than by anyone else in the the political scene right now. I feel a little differently to Ben because I think it was probably more of an international success than a domestic one and I think we've got you know, Trump to thank for that because I think in, you know, in this era seeing a brilliant, articulate um, young wahine and her baby in the UN is, you know, is compelling for the rest of the world and although the UN itself may not have been packed on you know, I think the coverage was, you know, 
spread pretty far and, and wide. Um, and I think while most New Zealanders feel great seeing her, you know, on that stage, and as you say, Ben, um, they would prefer that New Zealand is represented by her than perhaps, um, you know, a Bill English. I, I think what Simon Bridges said is true, and that is that at the moment a lot of Kiwis are just worried about how to fill up their car and, and those sorts of issues. So while I think it's a, it's you know a, um, you know a, a wonderful event. Um, wonderful symbolism in terms of whether or not it's going to be enough to get her over the the line at the next election, I think um, it'll be probably quite quickly forgotten. I don't think it'll have a long-lasting effect on her popularity yeah, domestically. Look, I, I think that's absolutely true, although it kind of you know, cements the sort of... Mm. You know the, the general picture that people have of her, um, in the same way that John Key always liked being seen bowing and scraping to the Queen mm. <laughs> on his visits to Balmoral. So New Zealand's foreign policy, to a large extent, actually is just marketing and advertising. Mm. You know, a lot of what we do on the world stage. You know, I, I think we tend to overestimate our ability to end the Cold War through the nuclear-free um, thing, but with nuclear-free policy in the eighties, I don't think that. You know, New Zealand will be leading climate change efforts or refugee resettlement efforts. We're actually way behind the eight ball in a lot of those areas. But what we can do is sell the country overseas and we can sell the image of the country overseas and we can help our exports and we can help our tourism uh, industry. And so I, I totally think that, you know, in, in terms of concrete achievements, I actually think that the Prime Minister's very media-focused trip mm. to New York was, was a huge success. Uh, the other thing she, too is... Somebody on Twitter, I think Philip Matthews, pointed out she mentioned Air New Zealand's direct flights to Chicago twice in her late show interview to an audience of about you know a few million people. Barack Obama... His visit to play golf with Key up north cost a million dollars for the airline and he didn't even tweet about the airline. So... I think the other thing that that you know made it a success is that we just see Jacinda on her own being brilliant. And frankly, I think one of her big challenges at the moment is that she's surrounded by um, a number of not very brilliant at all people, and is you know the appearances that she's often having to clean up after her it's ministers. Very so I, think, so I think her being overseas where she can just dazzle as opposed to at home where she's often seen having to to clean up um, a mess that she herself hasn't created is, is advantageous as well. Well, let's talk about that mess, given that we've concluded in consensus that she failed dismally to uh, repair relations between the US and Iran. She failed to reform the Security Council of the United Nations. At home, those um, little kind of mini scandals, I guess you'd, you'd, you'd call them. You've got the Claire Curran situation. I don't know, I can't remember whether we got into that before, probably a bit. I mean, in a way, the less said about it, the better. There's the McAfeeity uh, uh, sacking. Uh, are, these, are, these, are these kind of big things that will haunt, or are they just the, the kind of quotidian realities of running a government? They're symptomatic, you know, they're, they're really just kind of chickens coming home to roost 
of having a very limited talent pool mm. to draw from mm. to create a large executive. You know, but before Curran, before Curran resigned and Fighterly was sacked, there were 31 members of the executive, which is enormous. Now we're down to 29. Uh, you know, in two years' time, by the election, we could be down to sort of David Parker running everything. And Chris uh, Farfoy. Well, yeah, 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 sorry, Chris Farfoy. Yeah. Yeah, well, Chris Farfoy will be sort of Minister of Foreign Affairs. Yeah, uh, like. Um, and, and I think, you know, that, that's the issue. I mean, the, the idea, we had Labour sort of supporters coming out in the media saying, oh, this re- you know, the Mika Whaiteri thing shows that we really need more sort of HR training for ministers. Now, if, if you're a minister of the Crown and you don't know that it's not appropriate to put your hands on a staff member, um, I, I, I don't think that a PowerPoint presentation at the beginning of Parliament in between getting a goodie bag is really going to set you on a new path. Mm. Uh, Mika Whaiteri was in many, many senior management positions for mm. many, many years. You know, she wasn't just, she wasn't an Elamane Kopu who was picked out of the back blocks and suddenly Beverly Hillbillies style found herself running the country. Um, she, she's a very senior leader, leadership figure both within her iwi and in government departments. Yeah, no, I agree in regards to the Mecca Whaiteri thing. And one of the things that I've found interesting is listening to interviews that have been done regarding the matter. And um, and while I totally understand and think it's important that you totoko someone, particularly when they fall from grace and um, provide them with the opportunity to redeem themselves, one of the things I've found interesting is that a lot of the talk is all about how awful and hard and traumatic this has been for Mecca, and there's actually very few references to the trauma and the um, the humiliation that's been experienced by the staff member involved. And I kind of think that, you know, as the Māori caucus, actually need to do better than that because it, so many Māori are in low-paying jobs, high-risk jobs, jobs where they don't have a lot of status or leverage, where they can be exploited and poorly treated. And these guys are supposed to set the standards for how employers should behave, and I don't think that they've done good enough. I think, what was Nanaima Huta, the Minister for Local Government and uh, for Māori Affairs, said in Parliament in the general debate on uh, Whaiteri's sacking that, uh, you know, the assault obviously wasn't that severe because the police weren't involved, <laughs> which I thought was an amazing comment. Appalling. I mean, I, I've, you know... I've, what I've, are they I've, thinking, those guys? I'm just gobsmacked, I've, I got frankly. my nose broken in a fight in a car park once and I didn't go to the police, but I, I wouldn't have thought that was what the beehive was doing, mm. you know. <laughs> it's sort of it should probably be said just for uh, the record that uh, Mika Whaiteri's account uh, differs from... She, she, she didn't lay her hands on the staffer... Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. And actually, the Herald had uh, another leak, another leak which is now also being inquired to, which is again a mistake, because you would have thought that the Prime Minister learned from the Simon Bridges thing, where we're it's, still talking let it, let about it go. the national leak. Let yeah. it go. It's a weird fascination that this kind of in um, other countries, not that that's better. There are these sort of kind of leaks happen. You know, a couple of times a week, and 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 they do in New Zealand and as well. I'm not sure we, what the current fixation is with trying to get to the bottom of it. It's um, it's it's kind of like being offered the chance by somebody to learn what your best friends say about you when you're not there. You know, it's tempting, but you should always say no. Yeah, the mm, thought. <laughs> um, uh, also. Challenging the Prime Minister on the domestic front over recent weeks has been the perception 
that Winston Peters, the Deputy Prime Minister and leader of the New Zealand First Party, wields a sort of disproportionate power within within uh, the government. Um, Deputy Prime Minister of the New Zealand First-led coalition government. Well, that's the... Yes, I mean there were. I mean, there were the the policy things. There was the three strikes rule that, that Angela was severely blindsided on when New Zealand first pulled the carpet. Then there was the, there was the refugee quota. There was one other one which I can't remember. Um, there, there was a bit of an issue about the announcement of the, as it was called then, Crown Maori Relationship oh, yes. Portfolio, oh, yes. which was then announced as the That's right. Crown Maori Partnership Portfolio, right. which then the next week became the. Maori Crown relationship portfolio. Well, let's. We're going, we going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, later on, perhaps. I, I keep intending to write something for the spin-off. Yes, about you've it. long yeah. promised that. Um, My apologies. It may, maybe I will have by the time the podcast comes <laughs> it's, out. It's possible. Yeah. Um, but then you mentioned that thing about the uh, Labour New Zealand First Coalition, and in some ways. It's just a semantic thing. That's what Jacinda Ardern would have us believe. But it is more than that. It is. It is kind of extraordinary to be for <laughs> the deputy prime minister to to publicly um, disavow this idea that something that is manifestly a Labour-led coalition is a Labour-led coalition, and to sort of essentially make verboten among all members of government the use the description of the Labour-led government as a Labour-led government. It's bizarre. And look, there are all these sort of, you know, kind of weird little side fights that happen. I think it was reported that early on in the government, uh, Labour's parliamentary uh, ministerial staffers sent out a template for press releases, which was a particular kind of red, which was 7% black. (laughs) in the Pantone right. to reflect <laughs> New Zealand first. Um, and, and New Zealand first rebelled against that and said, we're going to send out government press releases with a, with a black logo and a black finish on it uh, rather than red. And I, I think that kind of differentiation is is smart uh, and sensible. But yeah, this, this veto on uh, the, the coalition government that is, what about, 70% Labour and has a Labour Party Prime Minister being referred to as a Labour-led coalition, which is, you know, the standard practice. That's always been what's done before. Mm. Um, Again, it doesn't matter. It would have actually been fine if they had worked that out Mm. between themselves and if they had just quietly stopped doing it. Mm. But instead, there is is a bit of a hint of sort of the Deputy Prime Minister just flopping his dick on the table (laughs) at a cabinet meeting, (laughs) you know, and and really playing this out publicly. Is this this a metaphor or a source? (laughs) That was so unexpected, (laughs) Ben. Holy crap! Okay. Well, this this is a new kind of coalition, sunshine. This is this is not dysfunction junction. <laughs> Where were we? I don't know. Let's cut that out. Let's no, cut everything let's keep out. It. Let's keep it. That stays, Alice. That's staying. Um, um, just put out. Um, the, just put out five minutes of gold. <laughs> just like um, have a cake. But but yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't, I can't recall a time when two coalition partners or even support party partners have been this, um, yeah, kind of engaged in so much sort of swagger and and you know really kind of, really kind of really wanting to put the partner in their place. Um, 
What are you seeing, Annabelle Lee? Are you seeing Swagger? You just picked up a copy of OK Magazine and started <laughs> leafing through it. Is this... Well, sorry, what did you ask? What um, do I reckon? What, yeah, what do you reckon? Yeah, I reckon the same as Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but without the dick on the table bit. <laughs> the metaphorical. Yeah. Um, do you think that the Green Party, moving on, Stop looking at Kim Kardashian. The, the thing the is, that it kind of sucks to be the Greens, eh? Because it's like you wait all those years to get into coalition, then you finally get into coalition, and Uncle Winston comes and totally kills the party for you. You might as well not even be in coalition. It, especially but, since the, the interesting thing is, you know, one of those um, issues that you talked about was the refugee quota, which turned into about a week long distraction mm. where um, the Prime Minister was. You know, talking about the goal of raising the refugee quota to 1,500, Winston Peters is very uh, firm with journalists that that hadn't been agreed yet, and, and that caused this sort of contretemps. And then the Prime Minister announced that the refugee quota would be raised to 1,500, and that was done with New Zealand First's blessing. So in a way you can see that what Winston Peters is trying to do is is he wants these policy decisions to be done in private, and the kind of sanction for that... For, for when he feels the process hasn't been kept to, is that he will publicly sort of embarrass Labour. Mm. So I, th- I think he's trying to get to a situation where, you know, it is this genuine partnership where he's ticked everything off. Um, but it's it's creating these sort of messy sideshows uh, in the interim, and I think quite deliberately from New Zealand. It's sort of stagecraft, isn't it, yeah. rather than just snafu. Yeah. The the Greens though they have had they I mean they have had quite a few wins haven't they I mean they've on, on the climate commission various other climate things on uh, tenancy rules um, transport and then the oil and gas thing which was a ungazetted item that the, the oil and gas thing is a massive one the 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 do, do, you're you're fully behind the um, <laughs> the ban on more oil and gas exploration, aren't you? Well, Evidence-based. Yeah. So, so the reason that the oil and gas ban is back in the news is that the government has introduced legislation to give effect to what they had previously claimed they could just do by dictate at a press conference. They said that it was just a ministerial decision, Cabinet didn't need to sign anything off. Then the various oil exploration firms started saying they would sue, um, and after taking advice, the government decided that they would legislate just to make it safer. And that meant that it had to go through the full process of getting official advice and a regulatory impact statement, which they had not not so much um, failed to do the first time as deliberately run from, sort of, you know, ducked out of side doors as officials tried to hand them briefing papers and, you know, done that kind of pretend walking down the stairs behind their desks, you know, if Treasury officials tried to advise them on the consequences of the ban. But they they couldn't do that when they were introducing legislation. So there's about 70 pages of analysis, which has been gone over by a fine-tooth comb by the biggest nerds on NZ Twitter and, you know, Mm. that kind of area, um, which which concluded that there were very, at best, there were very uncertain consequences in terms of actually lowering carbon emissions across the world Um, but there would be big costs in terms of revenue to the New Zealand government from oil royalties um, and foreign investment and also uh, not covered in the report but just obvious huge costs to the Taranaki region in terms of high paying jobs and um, industry around that area 
Um, yeah, I mean, terrible policy doesn't doesn't do what it sets out to do. Uh, was sprung on business without any consultation, which is why there's a lot of. I was at the Herald's mood of the boardroom um, uh, breakfast yesterday. Oh, I bet you were. And they they were talking about regulatory uncertainty. Th- that oil and gas decision really looms large with the business community because it was basically just taking entire an entire sector of the economy and saying no more. Sometimes, I wish the Herald would do yeah. mood of the winds office. Mood of the winds office. We had a, um, a media release or even or, or a rebuke even that th- th- about winds. You're not allowed to call it winds anymore because it hasn't been. It was only called winds for three three or four years back in the day, fifteen years ago or something. It's work and income, but best of all, it had a headline on it: "Winds is a non-existent entity," <laughs> <laughs> which is a very good statement. I thought um, sometimes, though, Ben, and obviously, there's a lot of debate around the. <clears throat> economic projections about the decision. Sometimes government is about leadership and it's about mm-hmm. signalling something, major change, and notwithstanding everything else, isn't that what was done? Uh, no. No. So, well, I mean, it was a signal. I, I don't want to say virtue signalling, so cut that out as well. You cut can, it out. Just cut around cut it. Cut it out. Um, the, but but it, what it was doing, busy, it, it, was this, it, it, it was this symbolic. It was the symbolic announcement where they, you know, they they sort of say oil and gas is bad, so we're going to ban oil and gas being produced in New Zealand. Nothing in there about reducing the amount of oil and gas that New Zealanders use. Um, if if we do use less gas, the immediate substitute in our environment is coal. Uh, we'll start burning coal in Huntley again. Big industries like Fonterra will use coal power. Um, that will increase emissions. It's much dirtier. Um, if, if you look at uh, Meridian, the uh, mixed ownership model electricity generator, they're currently doing an ad campaign talking about how we lag behind uh, you know, fellow small-sized battler Norway because Norway has more electric cars than us and so it's a cleaner, greener country. Now, Norway is actually an oil state. Norway is hugely wealthy because of a giant oil field that they discovered, all of the proceeds of which went into a sovereign wealth fund, which they're now using to introduce green, green technology and make themselves environmental leaders. And what they've found is that this hasn't diminished their standing in the world as an environmental leader. It's actually improved it. It's decreased the amount of emissions that they use as a country. And I I can't see, you know, in terms of the billions of dollars that we will lose out on as a result of oil and gas exploration being banned in New Zealand, money that the government could have used to put into James Shaw's Green Bank in Treasury to invest in renewable energy projects, could use it to build some more hydro dams so that we don't need to burn coal and we can use hydroelectricity, which creates no emissions. Um, The opportunity cost and, and the scale the benefits which haven't been demonstrated at all. Um, it's a terrible decision. Uh, for more on electricity, or if you're interested in getting some yourself, Gone By Lunchtime recommends Flick Electric. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, the Deputy Prime Minister, Winston Peters, was in the news the other day, Annabelle, because the 25th birthday convention of the New Zealand First Party included a remit that was pushed through to do with New Zealand values for mm. newcomers to New Zealand yeah. who need to understand important values like equality for women and <coughs> the exercise of liberty through not being told that we can't buy alcohol when we want to. That was one of the bullet points. Basically, it was a list of things. Uh, basically, it was code for Muslims, mm. really. The irony is is that we actually already have one of those 
it's called the Treaty of Waitangi, Ooh. and nobody hates it more than Winston. So the fact that he's trying to force this upon um, refugees and migrants is a little bit ironic. Um, if it said things like, you know, having respect for the status of Māori as tangata whenua, mm. um, the importance of te reo Māori, you know, that could be something I was on board with, but the stuff that's in it is um, disturbing. Well, I think Clayton Mitchell, who's the MP in charge of um, advancing this within the coalition government, um, he, he was on uh, Morning Report talking about how, you know, it wouldn't just be for one-offs, you know, so if, if I just if I spied a foreigner not shotgunning down a can of Dobro, I wouldn't immediately call the police. Mm. What I would do is follow him mm. and start looking for a pattern mm. of behaviour. Mm. I would I would track him and mm-hmm. you know, mm. and then if if there was a pattern of beha- of of un Kiwi behaviour, then he would go before some kind of panel. Yes, to the, and, of it to the committee and the, <laughs> and the, and the come pan- before step the, before the committee. <laughs> and... and <laughs> And and people would talk about whether you know whether, whether the portrait of Winston Peters in his lounge was hanging crooked, mm. or um, you know whether he knew both verse, whether he knew both verses of the the New, uh, the New Zealand verses? national anthem. Well, yeah. So if you if 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 he if they knew the first English verse, that's a point four. Then another point off if they you know, know the Maori verse. <laughs> and so it's it's a very dynamic <laughs> test. Yeah. That Look, there was a lot of there was a lot of. Um, uh, anger expressed in the news coverage of this, by, particularly by a delegate from Wairarapa, Roger Melville, um, who made the important point more than once that we as New Zealanders are sick and tired of going into the dairy and not being able to be understood mm. by the people in the dairy. You know, this is this is big. I... I sort of wonder which dairy he's going to. The, the only problem at times I've ever had real language problems in Auckland um, is, you know, kind of, you know, tr- trying to trying to find the only dumpling place on Dominion Road that's open at 1am and lets you have BYO spirits. I think what's you know, happening is generally. he's going in and he's going, you take a check? And they're going, <laughs> what? What? You take a check? <laughs> what? It's, that's the source of it all. It's, it was quite funny Clay, Clayton Mitchell at once saying one of the values is that we stand against racism and then meanwhile these delegates are lining up on the TV to say I'm not racist but <laughs> well <clears throat> read into that what you will um, let's talk quickly, Annabelle's yawning again let's talk quickly about this this Māori Crown Relations piece that you're going to write for us very, very soon oh yeah, god, Alice yeah. is dying Annabelle's yawning uh, Ben's talking about penises. I was not. <laughs> what? That will have been cut by the time this goes it to it. So that's me to my core. Yes. So that's that just an embarrassing non <laughs> you. That's how awkward. <laughs> the Māori Crown relations thingamy. Yeah. So this this had a this has its genesis in the announcement of what was then the uh, Crown Māori relations or relationship portfolio. Um, with the new government last year. The um, holder of that portfolio is the deputy leader of the Labour Party, Kelvin Davis. Uh, <laughs> there's a, a sort of inauspicious start. Um, all of the press gallery was summoned uh, to a press conference in the Cabinet Room mm. uh, to be told about this new portfolio, and they'd all been pre-briefed. Um, and when they got there, 
they were told that Winston had said there couldn't be an announcement. Um, and so instead they were, they were given a flavour of what the now renamed, I think, uh, Maori Crown Partnership Portfolio uh, would be. And then there was an actual announcement about this new agency uh, the, the week afterwards. And w- what it is, is it seems to consolidate um, a few things that already existed or were in sort of embryonic form like uh, the post-settlement commitments unit that already existed within the Ministry of Justice, um, which makes sure that the Crown keeps all of the promises that it makes in its settlements of historic treaty issues. Mm. Um, And then, you know, there's the Marine and Coastal Area settlements. Um, It will also look uh, at at treaty settlements going forward. And and, And probably the key thing that it'll do is try and work across government to improve the way that departments... You know, engage with with uh, Te Ao Māori, Māori uh, you know, in the widest sense, um, because look, there is there is a problem across government, and it, it's not an airy fairy notion, which I think that was uh, where you know there's some criticism came in from you know New Zealand First um, and from conservative commentators. This isn't creating something you know entirely new. The Crown has has many many obligations not only under the treaty itself or the principles of the treaty under legislation, but also under agreements that it's subsequently signed up to. Um, you know, as part of that treaty relationship. There's 70 deeds of settlement with Iwi. There's 16 more that are about to be legislated. And all of these commitments actually have to be monitored, not just shoved in a desk drawer somewhere and forgotten about. And there, there was a bit of criticism about, um, and initially this agency was going to be charged with the very vague-sounding uh, constitutional reform. And that's been sort of put on the back burner, but uh, I think the minister used the language a placeholder has been put there, which I think is actually really useful because what it means is if we are thinking about constitutional reform, which affects that treaty relationship, uh, it won't be handled by you know whatever ministry is set up by Prime Minister or President for Life, Winston Peters. It will be set up. It, it will be looked at by an agency which has expertise. Uh, in the, that relationship in those areas, um, but also it won't be sort of at, at the moment it won't be sort of an entrepreneurial ministry that is going out looking to fundamentally reform New Zealand's constitution. You know, we already have because New Zealand doesn't have a Palmer Jeffrey Palmer-esque written constitution. Um, constitutional change happens incrementally and over time, and we're actually see, we've seen constitutional change in New Zealand in terms of the way that councils relate to local Māori, in terms of the way that the Crown relates with Māori. It's very incremental. It's like building blocks, and it's been happening. It will continue to happen, um, and it's best that that's done in a measured and sensible way uh, to address things issue by issue rather than having you know some mad scientists do a constitutional reform roadshow which goes nowhere as these sort of grand nation-building schemes tend to. Congratulations, you managed to get a dig into Geoffrey Palmer there. Um, Annabelle, is this, is, um, this is Kelvin Davis's baby, is it a real thing or is it just duplicating uh, functions that are already performed? Well, I mean, I agree with Ben that it's important that um, treaties settlements and the promises made in them are, you know, measured and that um, the government is held to account in terms of the commitments that it makes. But what I don't understand is why you wouldn't just give that function to 
to TPK because you know back in the day the minister of Ministry of Māori Affairs used to build houses and have social workers and do all sorts of amazing helpful things and then it kind of got the guts ripped out of it in the 80s and now essentially its core function is um, monitoring um, government departments um, um, policy analysis you know a bit of business development that sort of thing so why you would need to go and create a separate ministry rather than just resource Tepuni Kokiri, which is often thought of as an underperforming department, why you would not give them the resources to do it, um, I, I don't know. And it seems like now it's just been, <clears throat> if anything, it's further damaged. The way it's been rolled out has further damaged Labour's credibility in the eyes of iwi because there was all this hoopla that there was going to be a you know, a new office set up. They flew Tsitefai Harawira to Wellington and then it appears the whole thing got derailed by Winston anyway. So um, in terms of <clears throat> how committed Labour are to it, um, they haven't really done a great job of kicking it off. So I don't know, it just seems a bit messy to me. That's a good time to call it quits. Thank you very much, Annabelle Lee. Thank you very much, Ben Thomas. Thank you, Alice. We'll miss you. Um, and um, thank you to Flick for getting on board. Um, if you want to guarantee more elaborate, extended penis metaphor, political commentary from Ben Thomas, switch your account to Flick today. We'll be back soon. It's gone by lunchtime. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.